Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, so this week we're on portion Vayera. And, and this is one where it means, and he appeared. And there's a lot that happens. I know I say this just about every week in, in the book of Genesis, that there's a lot that happens in this portion. <clears throat> we only get two portions, really, that focus on the life of Abraham. It goes all the way from, really, his introduction last week, all the way to the binding of Isaac this week. And the thing that stood out to me this week was really the first phrase in our portion where the Lord appeared. And I still don't know exactly what the title of the message is today, but it might be when God shows up or it might be God will be seen. I kind of, I'm kind of thinking that's going to be the second one, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> we're, we're probably going to talk about both of those aspects today. Because God desires to reveal himself. And he changes things. When he shows up, lives change. The world changes. And so today when we start out in the reading, it's Genesis 18, verses 1 through 5. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. Excuse me. And so the setting here is that three days prior, God had appeared to Abram, Abraham at this point, and had given him the covenant of circumcision. And now Abraham is sitting in the heat of the day by the door of his tent, And he sees, well, God appears to him, and he sees three men coming by. And the scripture says in verse 2 that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. So he lifted his eyes and he saw. Now that, that phrase is not uncommon in the scriptures, but it's also not overly common either. Uh, Within the first five books of the Torah, it appears nine times, three of which occur in this week's portion. So he lifted his eyes and he saw. And each time really when when that phrase comes up, something significant is taking place. And in this case, he's seeing these these three men. And at this point, He lifted up his eyes and looked, 
He saw them, and then the next verse says, when he saw them, actually it's part of it, when he saw them, he ran. So again, there's this another aspect of seeing, but it's a different level. He saw them, and now he's perceiving something else that's going on, and his response to it is to get, get up and to run to them. And within this, there's a couple things I think we need to take hold of, is there's the aspect of a readiness to see, kind of a prepared state that Abraham was in for this moment, when even in the midst of an ordeal that he was going through, because here he is, he's on the third day since his circumcision, which is at the time when it's of the greatest pain. If you recall, that's uh, when the city of Shechem was slaughtered by Simeon and Levi. And so the sages talk of this as being the third day. I, I think there's another reason why this is spoken of as the third day, and, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. But there's the third day aspect. He's still ready even in the midst of that, and he quickly responds to what he's seen. And in some ways, it's a bit of a defining moment, an opportunity, an invitation for him to pursue what the Lord is doing in that moment. Right? Because God can appear, and he can see, and that's all good. But then, what now, Lord? If you have appeared, what is it that you're desiring to come from this appearance? And, and what am I to do in the midst of it? And speaking of God's appearing, there were three times where the Scripture says, Adonai... Oh, it's Vayera Adonai, is the, the phrasing of the scripture. There's three times in the past two portions that this phrase shows up. It happens in Genesis 12, 7, okay, which is right about where uh, God sent Abraham from his land to a land that God would show him. And what it says here is, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. This is when he had come into the land, into Shechem. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then we see again in Genesis 17, 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And this is where he introduces the covenant of circumcision and gives Abraham the promise of a son that will come from Sarah. And then now we see it here when the three people show up to come to visit. Now the three came to visit and Abraham is entertaining them and as we continue on, as they're eating, in verse 9, they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you. About this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Okay, so there's a few things going on. When, when the three men approach, it's unknown whether Abraham recognized immediately that they were angels or whether they were just men. Because there's a, a, the ordering of the scriptures 
can be interpreted as though God appeared to him. So he was having an interaction with the Lord. And then he sees the three men and he asks the Lord permission to go and talk to them and asking the Lord, please don't leave my presence. And then he engages the visitors. Okay, so that's one, one theory. But so if we go with that theory of, he's, of, of him thinking these are men that he's speaking with, and now he's sitting here and they're eating, and they say to him, where is Sarah, your wife? There's a few questions that would immediately flood Abraham's mind. One is, how do you know her name is Sarah? Right? Because until three days ago, she was always Sarai. And now only Abraham and Sarah know about her new name and probably some of the people in his household. But how would these three strangers who he, he's never seen know that, that, uh, what his wife's name is? And so that's really interesting. So that's giving a revelation that these are not just ordinary men, that these are people sent, or angels, in fact, sent by the Lord to encounter him on their way to, uh, well, they're, they're going for multiple reasons. They're to announce the birth of the son Sarah will have. They are to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and to rescue Lot from the coming judgment. But what he says here in this, in this passage is, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And then he repeats it. I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And this is connecting back to what we saw with the covenant of circumcision in last week's portion. In, in Genesis 17, 21, when he was making the promise to Abraham, he says, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So the son is promised multiple times, first to Abraham and then now to both Abraham and to, to Sarah as this confirmation and I was thinking along the lines of these appearances being major shifts in the life of Abraham. Where when God, when God is showing up and he is greatly altering the course of Abraham's future. And in, and in Genesis 17, when he's introducing the covenant of circumcision, at first it, it does not seem... Sorry, at first it does not seem that a major shift is changing. So if, if you read with, with me, if you didn't know the end of the story from the beginning, and we were just, where are we in Abraham's life, right? He's 99 years old. His son Ishmael is now 13 years old. And everything is going along as planned. Here he has his offspring that God, that will be the one who inherits him and who will be a blessing. So when Abraham was, 90, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham, to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. 
And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought with your mo- or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be surely circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any, uncir- any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Okay, so at this point, all the way through these 15 verses of this appearance of God to Abram, everything seems completely normal. It all fits in line with what Abraham knows. I mean, it's a, it's a furthering, right? I mean, there is, there's a, uh, a covenant of circumcision. There's more blessings and promises that God is pouring out on him. But in Abraham's eyes, he can see all this happening according to what God has already provided. It's at this point, as we move into verse 16, where there's the major shift in what God is doing. And speaking of Sarah, he says, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. So God introduces this major change of this promise fulfilled, this hope that had been delayed in Sarah's life of her own child. And then even fulfilling the promises of Abraham that God would give them a child. And so he has this major, major shift. And at that mo- from that moment until three days later when these angels come to visit, and now Sarah is confronted with this, this word as well, it's almost as though the world's been turned upside down a little bit. Kind of in a moment where they would look at each other and say, what just happened? I mean, everything was good, but what just happened? And what is this that God is going to do and to bring about? 
And earlier we were singing about the God who's always on time and nothing is, he's never late and nothing is too difficult for him. Right? Well, this is part of that story where God says, this may look late to you, but it's not late. It's in my perfect timing and I'm going to bring about the promises that I have given and I'm going to bring them to completion and I'm going to do it through my son. Even when, you know, in the scriptures, when it says that he will, he says, I will establish my covenant through Isaac, right? Well, the, the Hebrew phrase there is one of, I will cause my covenant to arise, cause my covenant to stand. And the idea of God causing his covenant to arise has beautiful connotations. Because something that arises, in my mind, the way I see it, is that's something that is, is coming forth to life and bearing fruit. It's something that is not stagnant, but it is living. And his covenant, his promise, is being raised up through the promised seed to bring forth fruit for all the nations to profit from, to be blessed through. You know, after this long time of waiting, and Sarah had probably given up on the dream of having children. I think it was probably safe to say that she had given up on that dream even at the time that she gave Hagar to Abram. And now here it is, 13 years later, and the promise comes. And the Chofetz Haim, he teaches that this story is a warning to us not to doubt the coming of the Messiah. Just as Sarah had given up after so many fruitless years of waiting and hoping, we too are in danger of losing faith in the coming of Messiah after nearly 2,000 years of waiting and hoping. But yet he could come any day. Right? And so there's always the hope despite the time that has gone by because God is never late. Even when others would question or doubt, God calls us, to remember and, and to walk in faithfulness. And God brings forth the birth of his son, of his son, whose son? Well, first Abraham's son, and later the birth of God's son, Yeshua. But in this case, in the story that we're reading today, God brings forth the birth of Isaac, as he promised at the appointed time. And it's believed to be that Isaac was born in the season of Passover. Isaac brought forth at the time of Passover, along with many other important events occurred at the time of Passover. You know, if, if we look at this timeline of Isaac's birth, we know that the, the time of circumcision, the covenant of circumcision was at Passover. We also know that the covenant between the parts was at Passover. When we look through the scriptures and follow the patterns, and we know that the death and resurrection of Yeshua was at Passover. The exodus of Egypt. So there's so many. God uses over and over the same stories and the same themes in order to give us the picture of his redemption. And often within scripture we can find patterns that help us understand more of the story and how he's trying to communicate to us. So when we look in Genesis 22, we come to the story of the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. 
And we're going to see a parallel to something we read earlier. So let's look here in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place with which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So here highlighted on the screen, I have Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw. Okay, this is what we spoke of earlier in Genesis 18.1. He lifted up his eyes and he saw. And then he's with his men and he says, we're going to go over there and worship and come to you again. So why did I highlight worship? Because back in Genesis 18.2, when he ran to the men, he bowed himself to the earth. Well, the Hebrew word for bowed himself to the earth and worship in Genesis 22 are the same. So you're seeing the same pattern of he lift, lifted up his eyes and he look, looked, and then he ended up, he concluded with worship. Now we look further. How many angels were there when he saw them? Well, there were three. So there were three men. When we're reading in Genesis 22, how many men were with Abraham? He had his two servants and Isaac. So there were three men with him. Okay. What day was it that he looked up and saw on the third day? Just as the third day in Genesis 18. Of course, that went through tradition and through bringing pieces together. But there's a parallel that's taking place here that's linking these two stories. And... As I was thinking on the, the link between the two stories, it's more than just a textual connection. It's what comes after these stories, after these first textual alignments. And in, in the first one in Genesis 18, you have the promise of a son that's going to be given to Abraham and to Sarah. And God's going to bring it about, bring it about and he has affirmed it. At this time, when God has shown him the mountain, God is asking him to give the son back. So that's, that's is the difference. First, it's I'm going to give you a son. Now at this point, the parallel, parallel is you give the son back to me. That's a rough parallel. To think, okay, I have this appearance of God and this encounter that's taking place. But yet in the midst of it, you can see that Abraham knows that the call to bring Isaac up as an offering is not the end. Because he knows that he's going to go into worship and to do what God has said. But he says, he says, we will come to you again. We will return. So he knows, he expects that God is going to do something great. 
And even in Hebrews 12, we see the writer of Hebrews mention the same, same thing. It's in Hebrews 12. Um, see if I can find it here. He says in 12.19, He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Right? So verse 17, start out, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. But he believed that God was able to raise men even from the dead, and in that he was trusting even his very soul to God. And he expected to have an encounter where God would change things and complete his promises. And even in this story, when he says in Genesis 20, 22, 2, he says, take your son... Sorry, where are we? Yeah, in Genesis 22, 2, he says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Well, in the English, we, we miss something important here. Because in Genesis 22, 2, he, he doesn't just say, Go to the land of Moriah. He says, Lech Laha. He says, Go for yourself to the land of Moriah. And the Lech Laha is what last week's portion was called. In Genesis 12, 1, when we opened up the scriptures there, God said, Lech lecha, leave your, your relatives, your family, and go to the place which I will show you. And he calls him there, saying that he is going to bless him. And he's going to make his name great. He said, I'll make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse. And all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. So when God uses the same phrase to speak to Abraham in this moment of the trial, in the moment of the test, he's affirming to Abraham that he remembers the promise. And he wants Abraham, even in that moment of trial and difficulty, to recall the promises that God had given him and to say, you're going to have your son. The promise is going to be fulfilled. Even in this moment that you don't know exactly how it's going to play out, it's going to happen. And so Abraham could say with confidence to the two men, two servants who are with him, that I and the boy will go over there, we'll worship, and we will come again to you. So we continue on with Genesis 22, verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And so now he's at the very point of offering Isaac up to God. Now, within this trial and along the way, there's many things taking place. And I know we've spoken of it many times in the past, going through the story of the Akeda. But any time we come to this story, I feel like it's worth going over again. Just as we'll do in a few weeks as we go through the story of Joseph and we talk about all the parallels with the life of Yeshua. Within the offering of Isaac and the binding of him, we see so many connections with Yeshua, his relationship with the Father, and Yeshua is offering himself up as the promised seed to bring salvation to all who will call upon his name. Now within this story, when God calls Abraham to bring him, he says, bring up your son, your only son, Isaac, the one you love. And God had called Isaac the one who would be the promised seed. And according to tradition, Isaac looked exactly like his father. So much so that it was undeniable that he was Abraham's son. Now there were a few stories that go along with this, why in which it would be important for Isaac to look like his father. One of which is that, so that no one could deny who his true father was. For from the time that the promise came of Sarah having a son, there was a, small, there was a short interlude where Abraham and Sarah went down to the land of Gerar and Sarah was abducted by Abimelech. Okay. Now Abimelech did not touch Sarah, for, for God shut up the orifices of him and his entire household and all their maids. And God revealed to, to Abimelech that Sarah was married to Abraham. So Abimelech gave Sarah back. But that short interlude opened up the opportunity for rumors to arise of who the parent of Isaac could be. So when Isaac looked exactly like Abraham, there could be no doubt. And when we look at that, we think about Yeshua, our Messiah, who is the very image of the invisible God. The one in whom when we see him, we have seen the Father revealed. And as such, that stands as testimony of Him as the promised Son and God being His Father. Now, when they went along the way, along this path, Isaac, according to tradition, was 37 years old. So Abraham was 137 along the way. And as they went together, I say together because in verse 6 of chapter 22, the scripture says that he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they went, both of them, together. This, this Hebrew word is yachdav. They went together as one. Okay, they were united in mind and purpose for the task that they were set out to do. 
Now at this moment, Isaac didn't know the fullness of the plan. He knew that they were going to make an offering. But he's, he was going along together with his father. But then at that point, he asked his father, I see the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And when he asks this question, the way he asks, where is the lamb, he's not talking about location. He's talking about identifying a problem and saying there should be a lamb, but there's not a lamb. Something's not adding up here, Father. What's, what is happening? And Abraham answers to him in a somewhat ambiguous way, where he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so in one way, he's saying God will provide. And on the other side, other hand, he's saying, you are the lamb for the offering, my son. And when he says this, Isaac knows. But the response isn't Isaac hightailing it out of there. The response is, so the two of them, the two, so, so they went, both of them, yachdav. They went, both of them together as one not being deterred at all in the path that was laid before them. But the father desiring to do his father's will, and the son desiring to do his father's will. Now there's a few stories from tradition that shed further light on this, or even point to the work of Yeshua. In the Midrash Genesis Rabbah, they, the comments say, like one who carries on his shoulder the stake upon which he is to be executed, Isaac carried the wood. And that Abraham was the one who had provided the wood. He provided the means, and the son carried it out willingly on his own shoulder. For Isaac carried the wood just as Yeshua carried his cross. Now granted, he didn't carry it all the way, right? But he did. He bore on his shoulder the execution stake, just as Isaac had done the same for, for his. There's another aspect here where Isaac willingly gave up his life. He was willing to give himself according to his father's will, and then even according to one tradition, they say, when Isaac's throat was about to be cut, he thought, into thy hands do I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. Very much a parallel to Yeshua on the cross saying, into your hands do I commit my spirit. Giving up his soul and trusting the one who is able to raise the dead back to life. And if you recall... Yeshua was resurrected on the third day, right? Connecting the third day to this story even of the binding of Isaac. It was on the third day when Abraham saw, looked up and he saw. And it was on that day that he offered Isaac up. And there's something from, also from uh, the Midrash Rabbah that I want to share here. It's the significance of the third day. Throughout scriptures, we see the third day over and over again being a significant time. 
And they note here in, in uh, Midrash Rabbah 56, on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes. It is written, and noting that it is written in Hosea 6.2, he will revive us after two days. On the third day, he will lift us and we will live before him. Also on the third day of the tribes, they're going to go through and they're going to note all these third days. On the third days of the tribes, as it is written, Joseph said to them, on the third day, do this and you shall live. When he had thrown his brothers in prison, he brought them out of prison on the third day. On the third day of the spies that were sent by Joshua, they were delivered. As it says, you shall hide there for three days and then go on your way. On the third day, the Torah was given in Exodus 19. On the third day of Jonah, as it is written, Jonah was in the innards of the fish three days and three nights. On the third day of those who ascended to the land of Israel from the diaspora, as it is written, we remained there three days. That's in Ezra 8. And on the third day of Esther, it was on the third day Esther donned royal raiments and stood in the courtyard of the king's house. And they note, the, the rabbis note that it was by the merit of the third day on which the Torah was given that Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place that God had prepared. And the place he'd prepared was Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, according to tradition, was the place in which Adam was formed. It's the place at which the temple stood. It's the place in which Yeshua ministered, died, and was resurrected. The place where Isaac was offered up. Many things happening in this place, in this, in this, holy, in this holy place where God would choose to place his name. And so in, this, in the binding of Isaac, there's the picture and the hope of the resurrection. As we see, as we continue on reading in Genesis 22, God holds Abraham from continuing on with the sacrifice of his son. An angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. All right, so when we read that passage, did anything stand out to you? There was a phrase that we've now seen for the third time in this portion. It was in Genesis twenty-two thirteen, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. 
And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So again, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and it concludes with worship. The offering, offering it up as a burnt offering. Did you know that the offerings, the sacrifices, are worship? Now, it's not the same Hebrew word that was used in the first two passages for worship, but bringing forth a burnt offering unto the Lord is worship unto him. So we have the same pattern, and the result of the pattern is Abraham has his son. So you had the first one in Genesis 18, followed by you're going to have your son. Then you have Genesis 22, there in the beginning of it, and it looks like we're, you're going to lose your son. But no, God says, raise your eyes and look again, because your redemption draws nigh. It's the ram that's caught that's going to take the place of your son. You will have your son, and the promise will be fulfilled. And even with this, so we look at this and say, well, did God really tell Abraham to bring Isaac up as an offering if God didn't intend that in the end? And if you go back and look at the, at the command given to Abraham, it could be ambiguous. Now, in the, in the plain meaning before Abraham, it would have been to bring your, your son up as an offering. But the way that it said, it could have been bring your son up to the mountain to offer. It's like, or for offering. Could go either way. But in this case, what, God, what God's ultimate intent was, I want you to desire to do my will. And as you walk in my will, I will reveal to you the path that you're to walk on. As you go along the way, listen to my voice. Lift up your eyes and see what I'm doing and respond accordingly. And so he brought up his son as an offering to the Lord. And the Lord stopped him and said, Yes, he's been consecrated un unto me as an offering, but take this ram in place of him, which is something that can be done when you have pledged to make an offering. You can substitute another fit offering in place of the one that had been pledged, but the one that had been pledged remains sanctified and set apart, even though it won't be the one offered up. So the ram was offered in his place, not because Isaac, well, Isaac was not fit as an offering because God does not call for human sacrifice, but it wasn't any of his moral failure that caused him to be unfit. But God took the, the replacement to be the true offering, the one that would be Well, the offering that had been prepared from the very beginning of time. Okay. The sages say that the, the ram that was caught in the thicket had been prepared from the very beginning of creation and it had been on its way to its destination and was held up, its horns being caught in the thicket. But even though it got held up, God still showed Abraham where it was so that it could go forward and fulfill its purpose. 
So God offered up that burnt offering in place of his son. And one of the things that Isaac said according to tradition before before Abraham, or as Abraham was getting ready to offer him, is Isaac had said, may my blood be an atonement for the generations of God's people that are to come. Right? Now, we can look at some of these traditional stories and say, well, did they really happen? And that's not the point at this, at this juncture. It's more of God giving revelation to the sages throughout history that would help point to the coming of Messiah, to help Messiah to be found, such that we could see him in these stories of old and come to see how God was unfolding his plan. And one of the things that comes after the verses that we've just read in Genesis 22:18. Actually, no, no, this was in not 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 after it. It's within it. In verse 14, 22:14. I know in the translation we read just a moment ago, it said, in, Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And often when you see Adonai Yireh, uh, often it's God my provider is the translation. But the word that's actually used there is Adonai Yireh. Adonai will see. Okay. So in that place, it's God will see on the mount of the Lord. On the mount, the Lord shall be seen. I feel like this is the fourth instance of God appearing to Abraham, right? We, we mentioned the time of being sent to the land of Canaan, the time of uh, in Genesis 18, and then also Genesis 22. Actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm getting the, the ones wrong. This Genesis 17, Genesis 18, and now here in Genesis 22, the Lord will see, the Lord shall be seen. He shall be revealed in the midst of his miracles. Yes, he saw Abraham's need. He saw the need of the nations to have the promised seed, to have this ram that stood in the place to be offered up for all the nations to be blessed. And in it, he will be seen. He's appearing so that he might be revealed to all nations. In, in Psalm, 44, or Psalm 24, Psalm 24, there's a scripture here that says, lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may enter in. I love that verse, right? The beauty of lift up your heads, O gates, lift up your eyes and look, and be opened up, O everlasting doors, that the King of glory may enter in. Well, <clears throat> there's some interesting things about Psalm 24. Psalm 24 is the psalm of the day for the first day of the week. Okay, every day has a psalm. 
Psalm 24 is the, is the psalm for the first day of the week. It's also the, it is also what is recited every time the Torah scroll is returned to the ark in the synagogue, except for the day of Shabbat, when Psalm 29 is read. Psalm 24 was written by David on the day that he purchased the land of the Temple Mount. It's pretty cool. And he intended it to be, to be said at the time of the inauguration of the temple. So that with that, with that background, <clears throat> let's, let's look at this psalm. A psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. So, this psalm is telling a story of the glory of God, His greatness, and how He has established it all. And there will be a place of His dwelling. And who may ascend up to the place of His dwelling? But he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's prepared himself to be able to go and to enter in. And of course, we have the picture of the earthly tabernacle, the earthly temple, and there are ways of cleansing oneself, one's hands and one's heart to go up and to be in God's presence. But then there's also a heavenly tabernacle and a world to come whereby which we are cleansed by the blood of Yeshua and by the atonement that He has offered up for us such that we might be able to come ascend the hill and stand in the holy place receiving a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of, of our salvation. And then when it comes to the point of saying, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O everlasting doors. Okay, these are doors of eternity. There's the aspect of lifting up one's eyes, and then there's the doors of eternity opening up for the King of glory to come in, and it's repeated. Though not exactly, it's not, the Hebrew is not exactly the same from the first one to the second one. The first one implies that the ancient doors have to be forcefully opened. The second one implies that the doors will open on their own, that they will willingly open for the glory of the King to come in. And within this, there's, there's, there's two pictures, right? There are two comings of the one who causes the doors to be opened. At the first coming, there's the Messiah, son of Joseph, 
who forces the doors open through his righteousness, his death and resurrection, right? That causes the doors to open. And at his return, the, the glory and righteousness that has been revealed on the earth causes the doors to open. In each case, for the king of glory to come in, but not just for the king of glory to come in, but for him to come as the forerunner who brings those who trust in him into in through the everlasting doors into the life eternal. And in this, there's the revelation of God's glory to all the earth. Every knee, every eye will see him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Yeshua is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? And there will be a moment in time when everything changes at his return. Even though his return may delay, we're not to lose hope, but instead we're to look for his appearing with joy and with confidence and not shrinking back. That's what is said in 1 John 2, 28 and 29. Now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. There's the beauty of his appearance when God makes himself known through his son to all the earth. He will come and he will judge the living and the dead and appear in his glorious kingdom. God will be seen. God will be seen and he will make himself known even from the depths of hopelessness. He can turn things around in a very moment, in a suddenly moment of what just happened. What is God doing in this moment? And the call for us is to lift up our eyes and see, lift up our heads and say, Lord, what am I to run to? What am I to go to and move into so that the King of glory may come in as we worship? Every time Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw, there was the action of going and doing according to God's will. And even in that going and the doing, that was an act of worship. The open doors for God to come and move in the midst of Abraham's life, Sarah's life, and for the benefit of the whole world, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through the promised seed. So in whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you're walking in, good or bad, lift up your eyes and behold, and may God appear and give you revelation of his desire for your next step, for your path, for your future. And in it, may you lift up your voice in worship and may your actions be a living sacrifice unto God. Amen. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are a loving Father who seeks us wherever we are, Lord, and that you reveal yourself to us. I thank you, Lord, that Yeshua has been revealed on the earth, Lord, that you have revealed your salvation. Thank you, Lord, that people are encountering you in dreams in so many ways, Lord, that you know exactly how to find us wherever we are and that you meet us. Lord, that you give us a hope 
that cannot be quenched. Lord, that you cause the doors, the everlasting doors to be opened, that we may enter in, that we may ascend the hill of the Lord because of the righteousness and blood of our Savior Yeshua. Lord, I ask that you give us revelation. Lord, last week we prayed for vision. And we ask too, Lord, that even now that you will give us vision, that you will appear to us. Lead us in the path of your righteousness and your goodness. And may you be exalted in your kingdom. We bless you and thank you and ask this all in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.